0: Hey there, Margie Bryce here bringing you the Crabby Pastor podcast. And I don't think you're going to be too surprised to know that it's too easy today to become the Crabby Pastor. Our time together will give you food for thought to help you be the ministry leader, fully surrendered to God's purposes and living into whatever it takes to get you there and keep you there. So we're talking about Sustainability in Ministry. In my last episode, I talked about the doctoral process that I went through, and I talked about Cindy, who is also in the program, and how we drug each other over the finish line, and I talked about Kathy, my spiritual director, my charismatic Catholic friend Kathy. I like to say that. I didn't realize till I was doing this podcast that it rolled quite like that. So that's just fun. Uh, my husband, who who did at the end, threatened to drop me off at the school and not pick me up until it was done. And I get that. I get that totally. I get that. The other person I, I did enlist was an editor. Dr. Don Morton at Ashland Theological Seminary was my editor. She also assisted me with the survey to help me make it do what I wanted it to do, because when you're in the forest, you know, you can't see the trees, and you lose perspective. So, so I had amassed a little committee, and I, I did hire an editor, even though I was a strong writer, because I just kind of went back and forth with my advisor about commas and and I affectionately referred to this person as the comma Nazi and I I started thinking there was something seriously wrong with my writing so I did hire an editor so it is you know it's about amassing a team that has your back and I believe that this is a very spiritual and godly thing to pursue and Proverbs 15:22 It says plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Now, you always have to know that this isn't success how we view it in the culture today, but it's success from God's standpoint, which is usually quite different than ours. However, that's kind of a verse to at least the first half to hang on to is is to mash yourself some peeps. So I had done that, and I had gotten through that, and lo and behold, not long after that, I was offered a project on my conference. I'm here up in the Michigan area conference and have served in the ranks of the United Methodist Church. Again, I serve where God has placed my feet to serve. And so I was offered a project where four and a half churches were going to come together to become one. You know, and there's where era where it's like there's a United Methodist Church on every corner and that's when you had to hitch your horse and buggy up, you know, to go <laughs> to go to church. And I even preached at a church not that long ago where they never even put a parking lot in. It was like, okay, d- what were you doing? You know, were you just hooking your horses to the rail out front or, or what? But anyhow, there were a lot of, it was an area that was a high density population area southwest of Detroit. It's referred to as the down river area because you know, you're down the river from Detroit and they were down the river. That's for sure. And it's a cluster of many small cities Actually, all kind of jam. It's almost like where you can stand where there's the four corners in the United States, where four states come. It's kind of like that because all of a sudden you cross a road and you're in the next city over. And so I had to learn all that. But it was four and a half churches. and, And one of the games I like to play is when I describe this project, I like to say there are four and a half churches. And I like to see just how many people will say, well, how on earth do you get half a church? And I, there's not too many. Mostly, all y'all are pretty polite people. So people don't ask. But I'm going to say how you get half a church. All of the churches had to be approached and have this project or the possibility of this project presented to them, those who were interested in hearing about it. So they would go out, they would pitch it. This is a real crass rendering, I realize. But they would pitch the project. And then at some point you would have a vote. And you would have to get 66% for for you to become part of the project. So, you know, there were more churches that came out and listened, but didn't pull the votes to do it. Then you had this one church, this one church that... They took the vote or they were about to take the vote. And you know how sometimes church people do this. They called all the people on the membership roster who probably hadn't been there in next to forever and said, come and save our church. And so they voted it down by like two votes or something, you know, to get the 66%. And so the, the clan that voted to do this project was up and left and came and did the project which was about half the people so that is how you get a half a church and that's the uh how sausage is made version of that so as i was asked to do this project and agreed It was a requirement for me to have a coach, which I had already had the experience with the the committee, you know, basically of, of peeps that had surrounded me for the schooling I had just done. So, you know, I was good with that, but it was a requirement, which I thought was a really great idea. I thought it was a great idea. I think it's a great idea for every pastor to have a coach. I think that what they're attempting to do on the Michigan area conference is cultivate a culture of coaching. And I'm not sure how that's going down because when the hierarchy does something like that, sometimes people are suspicious and they get nervous and is this person going to be my DS next? And it gets into a, a whole thing. So anyway but i think it is a very admirable goal to cultivate a culture of coaching so every time i met with my coach and this is very similar to the the process that that i i use you had a focus form so I would use it almost like a checklist of everything I had done since the last session, you know. And by the end of it, I was like, "Man, I did a lot here—ooh, more than I thought." Um, and I was—I felt like, in some level, I was proving to the coach and to myself, you know, that I was out there. I was out there making connections in the community with my affinity group. I belonged to the the chamber because I used to be a business person. So, and I was rallying and working with the leadership uh, with all the churches because at first it was leadership overkill with four and a half leader, four and a half churches worth of leaders at first. And uh, we had to work through streamlining and, and paring all that down. And so I would use this focus form then to also say, what are the issues that I am dealing with right now? And what would I like to, this is a separate question, what would I like to make our session about? And sometimes that that deviates, even though you spell it out, but you, you have stuff, you have issues that are going on that you know you need to address, and you know it's serious, and you know, you, you look at your to-do list, and you just keep plodding along, and you don't stop and take a moment to go before another human being <laughs> and unpack that, unpack your thinking. Trust me, you won't do it. It's very rare. And if you do it, you're not going to do it on a regular basis. So if you hire a coach, you have a monthly slot where you sit and intentionally unpack something. And coaches don't solve the problem for you. Actually, the person being coached is the one that does the heavy lifting. But coaches listen real intently to your issue and ask probing and deep questions in the places that they feel are going to yield the best thinking for the person being coached. And so what these sessions then did for me was enable me to hear my own thinking and hear out loud my own fears and have someone help point out to me my hesitations and ask about that. Well, why are you hesitant about that? What's what's stopping you from XYZ? And I would have somebody inquire directly in a very helpful way. So I came away from those sessions with a to-do list of things. It wasn't huge, but it did kind of refocus my action and my energy a lot of the time. And, the, and it would focus me, because of the conversation that I had had, these things would bubble up in the conversation. And and I would come up with my own solutions. Well, I could, you know, as you're brainstorming and as you're saying, well, I could do this, I could do that, even though it's something crazy. You never know along the way, of that kind of a conversation, what is going to bubble up that's very meaningful and helpful? So it really did spur me to action, instead of being left to sporadically ruminate on what was challenging me or what was annoying me. Because, all right, this is this is why it's called the Krabby Pastor, because we get annoyed. And I'm just being... Bluntly honest about that, and I know some people are gonna think, "Well, there's never a crabby pastor." I'm like, "Well, okay, you're repressed, whatever." But anyhow, you know, we would ruminate on these things that are challenging. I mean, I know all of you, all of y'all that are pastors, go to sessions with each other, and they turn into a crab fest. You know, here's what's going on in my place. Well, you should hear what's going on in my place. But that's not the same thing. Sporadically ruminating is not the same thing as sitting down to really dissect the issue. Hey there, this is Margie here, your host of the Krabby Pastor podcast. And I want to urge you to stop surrendering your best self. So that you can avoid the burnout that plagues so many ministry leaders. Uh, You don't want to become a crabby pastor, that's for sure. So what I've developed is a self-assessment journal style product called Radical Self-Care. Sustainability for your life and ministry. And what I'm going to do is have the link to it in the show notes. So you can go there, it will be the best $29 that you could spend, you can spend then your time, take time, that's something we don't do. When we have big issues, you can take the time to explore how you view self care, and how you Need to pursue it a little more. And I'm not about offering you a checklist, that's for sure, but I want to see how self-care can be knit into your heart and into your life so that you can go the distance that God has for you to go. And pastors are are known for cranking. We and we are often people then of action, also, so much action that we don't sit down and slow down a minute and contemplate next steps. And that is some of what a coach can help you to do. A coach helps you spend a session, usually an hour, it could be less, it could be more, an hour going over a topic or an issue, and you take time with one thing that is just plaguing your heart and your mind, and you can't stop thinking about it. It just keeps resurfacing. It's kind of like a, a balloon in the pool. You know, you push it down and it pops back up because of whatever. And our issues are kind of like that. It is Proverbs fifteen twenty two: Plans fail for lack of counsel. Lack of counsels. It says with many advisors, they succeed, but it's that lack of counsel that for some reason, some pastors don't want to sit before other pastors. There is like an air of competition here going down sometimes, or we don't want other people to know our frailties, which I guess technically is pride, but we won't dig into that here and now. So plans fail for lack of counsel, you need to get some kind of counsel, you need to get your peeps, you need to rally a team around you. And maybe you don't all sit down at once together. But you you know, you have places where people are helping and a coach is an exceptional way to get that kind of, of help. So I wanted to though also take a moment to say something about spouses on the journey. And I have to say, there's many times I've looked at my husband and I thought, you know, Lord, he would have been great to call as you know, he just he just is a great servant. All I have to do, he's he's got the gift of help says I say, I need help with and it's like a trigger, you can just see it going off and he he is helping. And obviously, when we took this call, well, probably not obvious to you, but when we took the call to go downriver, that meant my husband had to drive 60 miles each way, 120 miles a day to, to work. And while that doesn't sound so bad, if you're out in Montana or somewhere, if you're going through Detroit, it's a whole other thing. And this is Detroit, before somebody finally had the brain great brain idea of, I know, I think we need two or three more lanes on I-75 going through Detroit. Oh, duh. I had said that for years. I'm like, because I was from the Washington, D.C. area, I learned to drive on the Washington Beltway, for heaven's sakes. And they have buku lanes there to accommodate the traffic that is. But I-75, hmm, not so much at the time. And so, I think the very worst, he could get up to work within in about an hour-ish. He could get to work in an hour because he was going the opposite way. He was going from south of Detroit through Detroit and up north. And and so he was, everybody else was heading to the city. But on the way home, it it was a whole different thing. Because there weren't enough lanes on I-75. And then they decided to get more lanes on I-75. And while you're, like, excited about that, the curse of the orange barrel is just annoying to deal with. And I think the worst drive home was logged at, like, two hours. So, yeah, you do 120 miles every day, every workday for five years. And it that's a lot. It really is a lot, and he did more than just that. He, along the way, has supported me and encouraged me and allowed me to freely follow God's call on my life. And I, I that is just such a treasure. And I think if the sh- if it was the other way, how would I be that? I don't know. I'm probably not as good at that as he is. I'm guessing. This is just a guess. Maybe I would just be amazing. I have no idea. But I just want to say for the spouses out there, we see you. God sees you. And that is your calling then to come alongside and support your spouse as they pursue what God has for them. So at Down River, we did crazy things like we worshiped in a school for or a school alternative setting for like four years. So the model was this. Four and a half churches come together, they sell their church buildings and we pool the assets and then we get a location that is not familiar with anybody. So it's brand spanking new. So we we did that. We it took four years and people complained along the way, like, where's our new building? Where's our new building? They were pretty attached to the idea of getting the new building. Maybe that was part of the pitch. I don't know. I wasn't there for that. But I think that even if you just said that, oh, and by the way, you might get a new building, you know, some people might have logged that, and that might have been the impetus for them joining in the project. Who... Knows really, so people kept asking. We would have town hall meetings, and that was the only question they were concerned about is where's the new building? And I'm thinking, for heaven's sakes, it's not like you go to a drive up window like at Wendy's or something and say, I'll have a 13,000 square foot building on 10 acres and it needs this, this, and this. And we don't want a flat roof, we don't want you know, we had a very short list. Uh, We needed to be able to accommodate parking, we didn't want the flat roof. And there was a couple other small things that, that were musts. And it took us a while to find that. And we pretty much went through all of the available real estate in the area and just kind of had to wait. And one day I was heading to a friend's house that lived down that way. And I decided to go up a road I'd never gone down. I went there and all of a sudden, I passed a church that sort of looked like it wasn't in use. And I turned around and went in the parking lot, and the cornerstone on it said 1990. So it wasn't like an old and decrepit building, because we already had some of those, you know. And we were desperately trying to sell them, and, and it was not an easy gig, that, either. And there just wasn't a call for cruddy old church buildings <laughs> and and it in a depressed real estate market. So... I saw this building, and it was, which I thought was kind of funny. We had drawn a box and said, "This is this is where we want to have the church somewhere in this box on the map. That's where we want it." And once you know, this was outside of the box by a mile. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. So we did end up buying that. We renovated it because it was down to the studs inside. The previous pastor had had a fire, and then a flood, and I'm telling you, I probably would have sat my ministry down in the dust over that, but the, I would say, that's God speaking to me. and My building almost, bur- uh, it flooded, and then it was a fire. I'm sorry I got that wrong. So they had a flood in the building, and then during Repairs. they brought in a refrigerator that then caused a fire, but nothing burnt. It just got smoked out really bad. And so, but everything was down to the studs in there. So we could renovate. And we did it in a, a contemporary kind of way with all of the bells, whistles, screens, and whatnot. So we got that all done. But people along the way, I I took them through a process of a community needs assessment. But still, even though this pastor said a ridiculous amount of time, if you build it, they will come, is no longer in operation. It it was kind of tough to see on the grand opening Sunday, people hanging around the glass atrium, watching and waiting for the hordes of people. I mean, we had a really good turnout that Sunday. We really did. But they were like expecting throngs of people that you know, it didn't happen that way. And I looked, I went out to see what was going on out by the atrium there for a minute, because I was sort of here, there and all over. And oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I never invited them. And it wasn't because I just, I don't know, I just hadn't invited. I didn't invite people outside. It's a long drive down there. You know, I just didn't invite. And who showed up? And I just about took me down to my knees There was Sally and Rob coming through the door of that church. These were the people, if you have been with me this whole saga, these were the people that took me in as a single mom with two boys. And these were the people that loved on me during a very, very rough period in my life. And they came for the grand opening Sunday. I'm still getting a little chills just thinking about this. They had never seen me preach, they had never seen me as a leader, and she kept saying to me, see, see, Rob keeps saying to me, see, see Sally, it just takes one seed, you just got to keep planting those seeds. And I just was so incredibly blessed to have them there. It was, it was so emotional for me. I was wondering whether I was going to be able to preach or not, but you know, I had throngs of me, not throngs, but there was a good turnout that Sunday. So I thought I better get myself in order so that I can do this. So that takes us up to and through my journey, and I have to also add at the end of the day here that it was through a coach that I kind of knew and understood that I would be getting the church built, situated through the first Christmas and first Easter, and then I would be handing it over to someone else that I did not carry with me the vision beyond that. And there were a lot of factors that that influenced that decision, and but I knew it was what God had for me to do and in retrospect that was exact I I might not be here doing this. I feel very passionate about what I'm doing here, that this is now my calling and I need to be helping pastors and ministry leaders through coaching and then through things like self-care and even discernment and I will be on to those topics for how you can help your ministry, the ministry that God has given to you, how you can then go the distance with God. Hey, thanks for listening. It is my deep desire and passion to champion issues of sustainability in ministry and for your life. So I'm here to help. I stepped back from pastoral ministry and I feel called to help ministry leaders uh, create and cultivate sustainability in their lives so that they can go the distance with God and whatever plans that God has for you. I would love to help. I would consider it an honor. And in all things, Make sure you connect to these sustainability practices, you know, so that you don't become the Krabby Pastor.